0: Man, thank you for responding. Please don't hesitate to do that again here in just a minute. Prince didn't mention the church picnic earlier. All I want to say is I haven't got to go to a church picnic in about 15 years. Um, Like I said, I might have been longer than that because I think we stopped doing it at the church I grew up in before uh, we, we moved into the world of ministry. And so it would be really sad if we went tonight and you weren't there. It really would, so we want you to be there hanging out with us. I know I keep mentioning this, but uh, I thought um, that God is is leaving the door wide open for people to go to Poland, and so um, all we need is two folks to join us, and it's a go, um, and we're ready, and the airfare dropped $300 this week. Back down to below what it was in July. Whenever I first look at it, and so uh, we want to keep leaving that door open because somebody's supposed to go. I know they are. Um, God wouldn't keep doing these things, and I know that's not a normal thing around here. Um, Doing things short notice like that, even doing those things at all—quite honestly, aren't things that have been done here in the past. But church, we got to be ascending church. We can't be a sitting church. It's a big difference between those two words. So please consider that. Um, consider that. Uh, lastly, um, just help in general. And she mentioned it in the tech booth, but uh, downstairs with our kids, uh, loving on our kids downstairs, um, we just need volunteers. The church is a non-for-profit organization. We run almost wholly on volunteers, and we need folks to step up and be a part of that. And I know for me, um, you know, my my world growing up. Um, We went to to first service a lot of times, and then we'd serve or go to Sunday school during second service, and then guess what we did? Served and or went to third service, second service, at the end of three times we went to church all in the same morning just what we did because we loved being in the house of God. We loved helping people. We loved teaching people. We loved worshiping God. And we got to have that mentality when we come and gather together. And it's just such an exciting thing. Along with that, um, thank you for bringing in all those Forest Park donations. Uh, What a blessing that's going to be those teachers. Don't even know if the teachers really know that they're coming. And so that's an even better part to it. Watch for new opportunities. I talked with uh, Kaylee, the secretary there this week. We got a really fun thing that we're planning. um, And we're going to need about 10 to 15 of you that have the opportunity to do it. All right, so I am super-duper excited about this message this morning, but before we get to it, I'm going to do something that's not in the script that no one in the room knows about but me, Um, and that's this. Uh, Some of you are probably aware, if you're alive, of the events of last weekend and, and these events that just keep happening in our culture, and I would love to tell you today, officially, that those aren't going to happen any longer, but you and I both know the reality, don't we? And so you heard debated the entire week, every possible thing under the sun, some good ideas, some really, really bad ideas, some terrible ideas, arguments, fights, you name it. And it just got me to thinking, okay, church, what on earth could we do? And I I really only came to one conclusion initially, and that's this. So if you're able, if you're able, please do not feel bad if you are not, please do not feel bad if you are not. If you are able, we're going to take a moment, and all of us in the room that are able are going to go to our knees (laughs) and do the thing we can do, the biggest, the greatest thing we can do in this situation. So if you join me, I'm going to do the same thing up here, and I'll just lead us in a prayer. I'll give you guys a moment to pray as well for the families, the victims, uh, how many people, not just from this last weekend, but in general across the world. um, This is a broken, broken place. So let's pray, church. Father God, as we, your people, bow humbly before you. Father, this isn't the last thing we can do. Father, this is the first thing we should do. Some some in the room can imagine the grief in the families, and the lives of those who have been tragically killed across the entire country, not just in the big events, but, Father, in, in the small things that have happened, from car accidents to simple murders, to these large acts of violence, to wars across the globe, to those being persecuted for their faith, their skin color, their religion. Father, this is the world in which we live, a world that needs you. Father, it's easy to have sympathy, compassion for those that have lost loved ones, but Father, you don't call us to just have compassion and love for those Father, the ones who commit these atrocities, Father, you call us to love them, to even forgive them. I pray that as a church, we become an even greater praying church. Father, that will lead us in your direction every single time. That we can put away all of our personal feelings, our our political views, uh, everything. Just put those aside and focus on you and your word. Father, your compassion and your love and your mercy for people. Any way we can show support and encouragement to people around us, Father, people that are struggling, people that might be on the brink of something tragic, Father, we can show them your love, and that could be the only thing that makes a difference in their lives. Father, be with us as a nation moving forward. Let those in our midst, Father, not just those in this building, but those across this country right now that are worshiping you, that are singing songs to you, that are studying your word, that are bowing their heads in prayer, Father. Be with all of those people and unite us together to be that force of love in this world that is so desperately needed. Father, we love you. We can't imagine how fortunate we are to be able to speak to you in this way. What a blessing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we get to go to a question that came from the back corner of the room from a grandpa. I'm going to set up the question for you. I'm just going to read you literally what was sent in to us. It says this, one day while driving down the road, my grandson, out of the blue, asked me a question. Why do I believe? He continued, I know you do by watching and listening to you. I know the story of Jesus and God and the Bible and the other people. I'm a believer in God, I've been baptized, but when I was asked the question by a friend, I locked up, didn't know what to say. The problem for the grandpa, he did the same thing. He couldn't tell the grandson what put him over the top. What was it that caused him to believe? How do you explain that to others? I've been asked lots of questions about my faith, the Bible, and God and never had any trouble answering But why do I believe this whole Jesus thing? Well, I'll ask you the same question. Why do you believe this whole Jesus thing? Now, that's the first question at the very top of the back of your bulletin, and then you'll notice there's just a whole bunch of space that's for you to begin to write out an answer. Don't leave that blank. It's too important. Have you ever thought about that question? May, has anyone ever asked you that question before? If so, what did you say? From my perspective, I'm so grateful that someone was willing to send that question in so that we could explore it together to see what God might be trying to teach us through his honesty. Now, let me start with this. I know that there are probably several people listening that might answer the question this way Why do I believe? Well, I just do, okay? Your faith is such that that is enough for you to be convinced. That's all you need. I get that. I understand that. Maybe you were raised in the church. Maybe you've known the love of Jesus your whole life. That's awesome. But I ask you, if your neighbor comes to you who's just recently been diagnosed with an incurable disease, and they say, hey, I know you go to church, and why do you believe that whole Jesus thing? And your response to them is simply, well, I just do. Is that going to help those people out? Is that going to lead them to a faith in Jesus? Is that answer showing them the love and compassion and grace and mercy that Jesus has offered? Does that answer offer them any hope in their situation? Would that answer be good enough in any other area of life besides parenting? Yeah, because you do. Because, because is a popular parent answer, isn't it? Okay, let me give you an example. All right, many of you have done this. How many of you have been to the doctor, say, in the last year? Yeah, me too. All right, so you go in, you go to the doctor, you go in for a bunch of tests. Doctor comes back in the room and says, well, got your test results back. Uh, you're gonna need surgery. Now, your probably first question would be something to the effect of on what, for what, to remove what, right? That would be, and your doctor says, well, you know, you just do. (laughs) Might I suggest, if that ever occurs in your life, find a new doctor. (laughs) Just saying, just throwing it out there. You see, that answer really doesn't work does it, especially if not something as serious as your life, does it? If your answer in belief is, I just do, that might be fine for you. But the reality is you've been given something greater. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we studied this several weeks ago, that he has given us his ministry. God has given us his ministry of reconciliation. We are now responsible to share that with others. We are Christ's ambassadors, as if he is making his appeal through each and every one of us, because he is. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and before some of you go, now wait a minute, Pastor, you said a few weeks ago you didn't have a favorite passage. I did say that, but I do have some that are always in the top five, and this is one of it. First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 absolutely one of my favorite passages. When I began to prepare for this message, asking God, God, what direction do we go? What can I use? The first, the very first thing that popped into my brain was this passage, and I was excited. I was like, I love that passage. That's awesome, Jesus, and so I immediately stuck it in here. Now, here's the problem with this passage. This passage doesn't answer the question we're asking today at all. But it absolutely tells us that we have to have an answer to this question. There is no exception. Now, these are the words of Peter. Don't forget who Peter is. If you don't remember, I'll share it with you here in a moment. But don't forget about Peter and his relationship and everything he went through in, with Jesus during their time together. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. And always, always, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. I think that's pretty clear. And then he goes on. And he doesn't say shout it at them, yell it at them, criticize them, put them down for not having faith. No, he says do so with gentleness and respect. I think it's pretty clear that we're supposed to have an answer. Now, if you don't know a lot about Peter, let me remind you just very briefly that Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was the leader, the most outspoken of the disciples, the one even the disciples went to with their questions for Jesus. And on the night where Jesus was betrayed and illegally tried, he was asked, are you with Jesus? Are you one of his followers? To which he replied three times, absolutely not, I never knew the man. Do you think maybe when Peter wrote This verse, that image might have possibly flashed before his brain. You see, because Peter didn't just know, Peter just didn't not have an answer. He absolutely gave the wrong one. And so he leaves us with some words to inspire us and encouragement in spite of his failure. Failure. But in your heart, set apart a revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. But be careful. Do so with gentleness and respect. We have to be prepared to give an answer. We must. God just might use your answer to that question to change someone's eternity. Eternity. A couple weeks ago, I threw out the opportunity for people if they wished to be a part of a class with me. A class called Testimony 101, where we will help to craft your story, figure out the answer to this question, help you put it in writing so you can remember it and be ready to share your testimony, your story of why you believe with others. I was so encouraged this week. I got a phone call from a couple that recently started attending here and said, hey, we would love for you to offer that. And I said, oh, Someone was listening. Yay. <laughs> I'm offering that same opportunity again today. Email me right now. Take out your phone Chris, K R I S S, at org. Chris at Brazil at bccbrasil.org, or just simply pull out a connect card. Yes, Testimony 101. Love to take it. Just make sure your name's on the card. We will get that underway. Take about five weeks or so to go through that with all of you that want to be a part of it. To put your story together. It is too important. Your story, I know you might think you're not significant. You might think you're not important. Your story is too important not to share with other people. You have to understand that now, some of you might have noticed when we began asking, question, asking four questions months ago that the actual title of the sermon series is a question, and you might be wondering, why is the title of the sermon series, Claiming to Answer Questions, actually a question? And then again, some of you probably never even thought about it, looked at it, didn't matter, You're like, uh, whatever that means, and you moved on. That's fine. I understand. But I want to explain it to you now because now is the perfect moment. When we came up with that title, the reason it has a question at the end is because there's not an answer to every question. Did you know this? There's simply not an answer to every question. As a matter of fact, there's not even an answer in the Bible to every single question that exists known to mankind. Now, hold on, Pastor. Did you just say that all the answers aren't in the Bible? Well, kind of, yeah. But before you take that out of context and throw me out of here, understand this. God has an answer to every question any human being could ever even dream up, period, the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it contains many, many, many of those answers. The Bible tells us about God, His Son, His Spirit. The Bible shares with the story of Jesus, His life, His ministry, His teachings, His death, burial, and resurrection. And you know what? Some of those events, some of those teachings, some of those words could have been the thing that led you to Jesus, and that is incredible, Some of those events might be why you believe. But none of the authors claim that the scriptures tell us why you and I believe. They couldn't. They don't know us. They don't know our lives and how we've learned and when we grew up and how we grew up and what we've been taught. They don't know what it is that put you over the top. Only you do. So hopefully you see our dilemma. I can't show you book, chapter, verse of why you believe believe. I I simply can't do that. That's up to you to decide. So here's what we've done. I've taken a couple different things that I'm going to share with you. First of all, I'm going to give you a few possible roads to travel down as potential things that maybe were what set you over the top. I'm also going to share with you the story of an individual in Scripture who absolutely had a moment when He became a follower of Jesus. It's blatantly obvious. If you've studied, well, reasons to believe. but Paul gives us the very beginning, which is awesome. This verse is so cool for a lot of reasons, but I'll give you one. It comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1, beginning in verse 20 is where it starts. And Paul records these words. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, this is awesome for us. Why? Because the burden of proof isn't on us. It's not ours. God has already firmly established his existence so that man is without excuse. He's now just simply using us to connect man with him. Now, for me personally, if you've studied and been fascinated by creation, there's more than enough evidence for you to believe in a God that created it. If you've ever studied the human body, it is impossible not to be mesmerized by the complexity of all of its functions, the abilities we have to grow, to develop, to learn, to heal it's incredible, the emotional bonds, the nature of feelings and the role they play in our lives. We have to consider that these functions all came from somewhere. It's a natural process, absolutely. It's so natural we were made in the image of our creator and we share many of his characteristics and attributes. If you're a student of science, when you begin to study the laws of the universe and everything that holds everything together and makes this thing work. It is hard, very hard, to get to a place where you can believe that that all happened by accident. It is. Scientists themselves will confess most of the time it's scientifically impossible for those things to happen by chance. That's pointing a person to a point of faith. If you're an intellectual and you're captivated by thought, and reason, and you begin to realize that you, a human being, are the only thing on the planet that contains these abilities, these critical thinking skills, you have to wonder why. There's so many other avenues to explore that all end up pointing to God. But here's the thing, that's not enough to end with. If that is what pulled you in, even if that's what put you over the top in order to believe in Jesus, it should naturally lead you to a place where you want to discover more, about this God, more about who he is, more about why he created, more importantly, why did he create you? Because when you discover the God, man, Jesus, and you learn of his decision to come for you, and you learn what his intentional decision cost him, and you learn of his death, and you learn of his life, you're now left with a decision to accept Jesus and believe, or deny him completely. Maybe the physical world, let's be honest, some of you, you really don't care. I understand that. I know a lot of people like that. Maybe you were convinced by the words in scripture themselves, and that is awesome. Maybe the historical evidence of Jesus is enough for you to believe. It was just too much for you to ignore. There's all kinds of great resources in today's world for to make that argument, that form of apologetics. Simple books like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's a very small book. It's very well written. tells you a lot about why he came to faith in Christ and might be evidence for you as well. There's empirical proof of his existence of what he did and what he said. Even proof of his followers, the authenticity of his teachings, the instructions of other men such as Paul and the other disciples, proven time and time and time again to be real people that really existed. And so this small movement of just a few men in a very small province of the Roman Empire continues to change the entire world. Maybe those realities brought you to a point of faith. But again, those realities shouldn't leave you content. You should never be satisfied with those kinds of things. You should be pushed to want to discover more, to learn more. When you're studying the words of Jesus and those that have fully committed their lives to him, have you ever stopped back, stepped back and asked the question, how do those people live like that? I want to be like that. How do I become more like Jesus? How do I find the peace and contentment in my own life. Maybe the historical content of the Bible, literally even the Old Testament, is enough for you. I've shared with you this before. I'll share it again when crazy things are discovered. I love it when we see in the news these crazy discoveries just about three weeks ago. They discovered the ancient city of Ziklag, a city the world didn't think existed, but is recorded in God's word. It's recorded specifically in mention of David. David fled to the Philistine city of Ziklag to hide from Saul as he was being persecuted up to this point. The city didn't exist until just a few weeks ago. I love it when those things happen. I'm like, yeah, of course it exists. It's in the Bible. It's true. I know that. Why don't you? Right? If you followed last week, there was an example. They think they've discovered this ancient church, the Church of the Apostles, which is supposedly built on the house of Andrew and Peter. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands thousands more Of those examples. And those are encouraging to me in my faith. But I ask you, are those why I believe? If not a single city ever mentioned in the Bible was ever found, would I still believe in Jesus? Would you? Because here's the thing those people that don't believe in Jesus right now, does the fact that we dug up some stuff and found an old city mean anything to them at all? No, is the correct answer. They don't care if the city was mentioned in a book written 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter to them. Maybe for you, it's more personal. Maybe you grew up in a Christian household. Maybe Jesus has always been a part of your life. Maybe your family demonstrated to you, but not just you, to others, the love of Jesus. And you got to witness that growing up and you decided to follow in their footsteps. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. As a matter of fact, have you ever said thank you? Have you ever talked to your parents, whether they're living or not, you can still pray to God and thank him for putting you into that situation. Have you ever thanked your family for the blessing of being brought up in that environment? Because it is a blessing, and I think you could look around today and see how many kids could benefit from such a life that maybe you were fortunate enough to have. If you haven't, when you leave here today, call them immediately and thank them for doing that for you. And maybe your kids will one day do the same. But here's the issue. If someone asks you the question, why do you believe in your answers? Well, because my family did. Is that a good enough answer? Let me take it a step further. What if that person you're talking to wasn't brought up in a Christian family? You've just left them with absolutely no hope because they weren't, brought up. There's no hope for them to discover Jesus because they didn't have that upbringing. Now let me go real deep. What if you're talking to someone that was brought up in a Christian family that lived lives full of sin? Maybe even used their faith as justification for pain and suffering for the members of the family, for the kids or the spouse. They left, lived this double Life. Do you think your answer holds any water at all with those people? I don't think our answer would hold up for very long. I think they'd immediately shut us down. Now I know this is a hard question. This is a hard question, isn't it? That this grandchild asked. I, I was sharing this with a couple of pastors a few weeks ago. I was having lunch with them, and they said, "Hey, I've got a great idea. Your church should start, start a new discipleship program." I said, "Okay, what?" They said, "Well, find that grandson." Take him to all your church members, door to door to their house. Have him knock on the door and just ask him the question. Stand on the porch until they give him an answer. (laughs) Coming to a doorstep near you soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, do you have an answer? Always, when? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone, anyone. Who asks for the reason for the hope that you have? I Man, there's no wiggle room in that sentence. There's none at all. But do so with gentleness and respect. Now, I told you we would look at an example from Scripture of an individual who definitely could point to a very clear reason for why they believe in Jesus. Can I skip to the end of the story? You do too. You have a very clear reason. If you are a believer in Jesus, he has given you, giving you a compelling reason to believe in him. But maybe you've never taken the time to stop and consider exactly what that reason might be. Now, these transformations, like we one that we read in the Bible, were life-changing For these people, they risk their job, they risk their relationships, they risk their families, they risk sometimes even their very own lives. Whereas today, stepping forward to call upon the name of Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior, probably isn't going to cost you a whole lot. Most families don't even have that kind of animosity anymore, even if they're unbelievers But what we're going to read is this incredible transformation in a man that was not looking for it. He wasn't sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and the Spirit got a hold of him, and he came forward and was baptized in the name of Jesus. That is not how it worked. This guy just showed up to work one day, just like any other day, and of all places a jail. Now, I know several of you have some experience working in a jail and or are related to people who work in such a place, and typically there are people that do find faith in jail, but it's usually not the employee's. It's usually the folks that aren't wanting to be there, shall we say. He's simply there to do his job. He's a man in charge, a person of influence and power, at least over the prisoners. And then he met Jesus. Now, in order to understand the story, you've got to hear the whole thing. It comes from Acts chapter 16. So open your Bibles, your phones, grab one under the seat in front of you, wherever you want to. Acts chapter 16 is where we'll begin in verse 16. This is a scene from the life of Paul and Silas. The ministry of Paul and Silas. One of the things I've always wondered, this is just another day in the life of Paul and Silas. It's like any other day in their life. Could you imagine what it would have been like to travel with those guys? I just, I can't even fathom like what they did and what they went through. I mean, I would have died a long time ago. I'm sure of it. It would have taken me out. These guys are tough, but they're so caring and so loving. I can't imagine what it would have been like to spend a day in their world. Acts chapter 16, Beginning in verse 16, reminder, this is written by the author Luke, who is traveling with Paul. We can make the assumption by the first-hand account he was literally with Paul and Silas when these events took place. Once we were going to a place of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. (laughs) She was right. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, notice they didn't care one tiny bit about the young lady. When their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Absolutely none of what they just said was true. But the mob mentality took over. Yes, the mob mentality we see to this very day when some issue or something is brought, people don't even know what's going on. They all just pile on, jump in to what's happening. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped Yes, naked, beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet and stocked, wrongfully accused, wrongfully embarrassed, wrongfully beaten, now wrongfully thrown into prison and wrongfully chained to the ground. Paul and Silas' reaction? Well, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were all listening intently, I would add that word. They weren't just listening. They were going, what is wrong with those two guys? Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, That the foundations such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out of, and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now why, oh why, oh why, did this man believe. He certainly did not show up for work on that day believing in Jesus. He was introduced to a couple prisoners, a couple troublemakers, stirring up trouble in town. My guess is he probably would have heard of maybe Paul specifically, but definitely folks from this movement called the way that existed. But everything changed when he fell asleep at work that night. No fault of his own. His entire world would be lost. A freak natural disaster occurred, ending his career, his means of earning a living for his family. Even he was convinced his very own life was at the end. Life had seemingly dealt him a very cruel and final blow. But then out of nowhere, he was given hope by two very unlikely sources, two criminals, two troublemakers, two men of God that had every reason to escape at that moment. Think of yourself. Put yourself in that prison on that night. And imagine what had happened. You were wrongfully humiliated, wrongfully beaten, wrongfully in prison. You have been in prison singing and praying since you got there, praying for God, praying thanksgiving prayers to God, praying for your release by God, you know freedom was one of the things that they were absolutely praying for. And then suddenly out of nowhere, a natural disaster had to be inflicted by God, opened up every prison door, broke free your chains. What would you have done in that moment? Don't lie. What would you have done in that moment? I know what I would have done. I would have got right up off my rear end. I would have been running out of jail, praising God the whole way down the street for answering the prayers that I've been praying since I got there. Hallelujah. God, thank you for saving me. This is awesome but paul and silas didn't do that did they (laughs) you know why i've always wondered it didn't hit me until i was writing this do you know why they didn't leave because they were already free they were already free but you know what they knew no one else there that night was there wasn't a prisoner in that room that knew jesus not one They weren't free. They were under the bondage of sin and death. The jailer that night didn't know Jesus. He was free. He was in charge. But he was in the most bondage of anyone there. He was deceived, thinking he had it all. So they stayed. They showed the love of Jesus to the man who was holding them captive. Because they knew in reality he was the one that was held captive by his sin. A selfless act of love. Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself. We can't read the passion in that sentence. We can only imagine the way he cried out as he saw that man about to take his life, because you know he witnessed it. The jailer called for lights. He rushed, trembling, fell before Paul and Silas. What on earth? I don't know what's going on, but tell me about this Jesus. How do I become like you? The jailer heard their songs and their prayers. He, they heard them praying for their freedom. And when it came and God gave them this gift of freedom, they stayed. And instead, they saved his reputation. They saved his career. They even saved his very own life. He brought them out, cared to their wounds. Paul and Silas shared the entire gospel message to him and his family. They immediately were baptized and saved. What a night! I ask you, why did the jailer believe? Now, probably every single one of you, when I ask you that question right now, have an answer in your head. You know why that jailer believed, don't you? But let me reveal to you a little secret. The text doesn't tell us why the jailer believed. Was it the prayers and the singing? Was it the earthquake, the answer to the prayers? Was it the fact that none of the prisoners left? Was it the gospel message that Paul and Silas presented later? We don't. No, I think that was on purpose. I think God left that detail out on purpose. Why? So that every single one of us in this room and every single one of us that listen could read this story and come to our own conclusion. What speaks to us in this story? What is it about this story that would persuade us to faith in Jesus? Thank you, God, for leaving those doors open and not telling us why we should believe. But the question remains, why do you believe? Now, some of you might say, well, this wasn't a very evangelistic message because what if there are people in the room or people listening that don't believe? That is a great question. What they all have gotten to witness is behind the scenes, why do we believe? And we sometimes don't know. But any of those avenues we've discuss, discussed could be something that leads them to a life of faith as well. If you are a believer and you want some help discovering or organizing your thoughts to put this belief picture together for you, let us know. I didn't see 45 people grab cards and say, yes, I want to be a part of this. It's not too late to sign up. God has given you a specific reason. It might be a physical reason. It might be a family reason. It might be a book chapter verse in a Bible. It might be a Bible character. It just might be a person that led you to Christ all of which would be awesome. Maybe it's a real life event, something that occurred in your life that forced you into a position where you had to choose, do I believe or do I not believe? And that is what puts you across that line. In the end, the reason we all believe is because of Jesus and what he did for us. You see, once you truly discover who Jesus is, and this absolutely would be for the non-believer, once you truly discuss who and understand who Jesus is, And what he did for you, you have a choice to make, and it's all yours. I will always reference the crowd in Acts chapter 2 who heard for the very first time on planet Earth the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who he is, and what he did for every single person there. And it says at the end of that story that after the people heard this incredible presentation by Peter, that every single one of them there, they were cut to the heart. And they were so moved that they asked, what do we do? How do we respond to what you've just shared with us? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I ask you, when was the last time you reflected on what Jesus did for you and you were cut to the heart? Because if you've lost that, And I'm going to tell you, you're not very tight with Jesus in this moment. Because every time we reflect on that, it's just cut us to the heart and move us in his direction. But on the flip side, I ask him, when was the last time you watched the news? In whatever story, pick one, you were watching and you saw the events unfold where you cut to the heart knowing that there are people in that scene that did not know Jesus. And never will. Does it move you? at all. If not, your heart's become hard. And it's time to let Jesus soften it up a bit. You see the people there that day in Acts chapter 2, they didn't need anything else to believe. They didn't need all the historical evidence, they didn't need the scientific proof, they didn't need anything else. What Peter shared with them was enough. And I've often thought, what would they have said if one of us went up to ask one of them, "Hey, why do you believe in Jesus?" I think I've come up with their potential response. I think they would have looked you right back in the eye and said, have, have, have you heard what Jesus did for me? Actually, have you heard what Jesus did for you? You haven't? <laughs> Let me tell you. And they would share their story of why they believe. Father God, as we close this out, I pray. I pray that the people here are moved to understand and know why it is they believe. They've been convinced, so many of them, some of them for many, 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 many years. But, Father, those old answers, well, I just do. Uh, My family did. I grew up in the church. Those answers won't suffice. Those won't reach anyone. Father, we have to know why it is we believe in you. What is our compelling reason that you've given us to be here today? How can we put that together in a form that we can share it with others and show them your love and grace and mercy in our lives in hopes that they'll want the same things for their own. I thank you for the text we've been given to study, the examples, there's lots of examples of people coming to faith in Jesus and scriptures. I pray that people will study those and find their own to maybe identify with, find their own words of scripture that are the ones that help put them over the top, realize that life event that causes them to finally once and for all believe that you are the living God. And I pray that if there's anyone here or listening today, wherever, that they immediately contact us, come forward, and say, you know, I've been considering this Jesus thing for a long time. I think I know what just put me over the top. I pray that they come forward and are baptized. And if those here are struggling to believe, I pray that they come forward and meet with your people in prayer so you can reveal that reason to them. Father God we thank you for your son the reason we believe in his name we pray